Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the official Tennis.com podcast featuring professional coach and community leader, Kamal Murray. Welcome to the Tennis.com podcast. I am your host, Kamal Murray, and today I have uh, the distinguished Ben Rothenberg, uh, a member of what I consider a very small, uh, close-knit tennis family, both from the players, the coaches, uh, as well as the media, um, all partners in this this journey to sort of help tennis uh, continue to gain relevance, um, you know, get to closer standings to in America, rather, to sports like basketball and baseball, mm-hmm. um, because I do believe the tide rises all ships and the more popular the sport becomes, you know, the more is in it for everybody from players to coaches to trainers to the media. Uh, and so, you know, this is a timely conversation because we just, you know, really saw something that rarely happens, which is sort of a big uh, blow up between um, the woman, the face of our women's sport right now, Naomi Osaka, uh, and sort of the media and then tournament organizers at the French Open. So um, I was curious to see, Ben, you know, what your take on, what your take was was on that when you first yeah. heard the news. Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Kamal. Happy to be here. Good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. I haven't seen many tennis people in a while um with all the pandemic stuff so good to see you again yeah it was i think a lot of media people first just first reactions were really caught off guard by it when she put the first statement up on her social media a few days before the tournament started i think it was thursday maybe before the tournament started on the sunday and because i think that naomi is somebody who i think all media we were talking about it afterwards like sort of double checking with each other like we all thought we had a really you know positive relationship with her and that she was someone who always was really considered a breath of fresh air in the press room. You know, she she doesn't stick to cliches. She's she's very open. She's she's unique. She's can be very honest and and yet still, you know, being you know not to, not speaking necessarily you know crossing lines too much, but at least like being very blunt in a way that I think could be very disarming for people. And she's someone who had I think really outsized media interest and coverage from a young age on tour. I mean, even before she was, you know, top hundred, I did a New York Times story on her before she got to be top hundred. That's my first interview with her. Cause I, I, I'd seen her play. I knew, I didn't know she'd be this good, but I knew she'd be something. And obviously her background and everything made her a super unique, compelling story. So yeah. So I, I think a lot of people, media people, first reactions were very caught off guard and just wondering like, what were we getting wrong here and wondering what sort of precipitated the timing of this. If it was about having, you know, disappointing clay results and she just wasn't feeling good on court or what, what was going on to make her sort of have this, uh, this reaction. So the initial, initial reaction, I don't know how granularly you want to get through the steps of how this all unfolded, but the initial reaction from the media side was definitely probably, I think, confusion and being taken aback and just, and just surprised, honestly, because there, there certainly are players who have more adversarial or more fraught relationship with media at times. And we just never thought Naomi was one of them. Like, I mean, every player kind of has their own sort of journey with the media. And I think we all thought that Naomi's, with the tennis media specifically, you know, tournament press was all super, super positive and constructive across the board. But do you think that there's perhaps something shy of a contentious relationship 
uh, and perhaps maybe, you know, players in general, you know, I know most of the players I've coached, you know, pre-tournament, right. Mm -hmm. uh, I get nervous about the types of questions that get asked prior mm -hmm. to the tournament, because we all know uh, a conversation can change a mindset. And even if the player chooses not to answer the question, the yeah. question can change a mindset and undo, um, you know, what, what her team has sort of been able to build. So, you know, when I first heard it, I was like, yeah, we don't want to do press because, you know, may, may have not had a great clay court season, pulled out of Stuttgart. Everybody had a lot to say to that. Uh, going into, you know, a tournament where she hasn't been past the third round, perhaps it was like, look, we've been building her up uh, the past three weeks to get her to believe that she can do better. And perhaps we want to protect her from a pre-tournament press where the very first question would be, hey, Naomi, you never been past the third round in the French Open. What are you going to do differently to make it, you know, further this year, right? That question, although maybe not, maybe not possesses, um, you know, malicious intent, but it, as a coach, that question would make me cringe. And for somebody whose paycheck depends on the player's success and their mindset and their wins uh, and wanting to protect the fragility of that, that would be something that I would honestly want to protect my player from given this tournament, given this season and how it's transpired. Um, what do you think about that? Well, that's actually, I'm really interested to hear that because that's something I was interested to talk to you about this too, from a coach's perspective or from a more competitive perspective. Cause that's one of the things that's I think really interesting about the way, especially she framed it in her first statement is she really did make it seem like she was doing it almost for, she mentioned, she mentioned mental health kind of almost in passing in the statement, but she, she, made it seem like it was for almost competitive reasons more than anything. She's like, I need my confidence this tournament. This is going to undermine my confidence because people don't care about my confidence. And so I'm going to lock that down and, 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 you know, shut that off and block that all out so that I can have the mindset that I need, which I thought, I thought was really interesting to see a player again, who's won the last two grand slam events that she entered that she played because mm -hmm. she didn't play last year's French. If, you know, and to hear what you're saying, like that one sort of planted seed can sprout into some sort of, you know, ugly weed of, of doubt that sort of spoils the whole, you know, garden you've been cultivating with this player for, mm -hmm. for weeks or months or, or longer. And, and, and especially with Naomi, that, that sort of rings true because she's somebody who I think part of what made her so good and pressed. And she is a gift that I think a few other players have, I think, you know, like Andy Murray and Roger Federer, I think they're both this way where they both really do generally like listen to questions and answer. Honestly, they don't just sort of, flip through their notes to figure out what cliche fits mm -hmm. the answer like she will actually listen to and feel and think about a question uh and won't just and it doesn't have the sort of it's sort of too genuine a person honestly sometimes to sort of be able to just you know block it out and, and sprout some cliche so i can see where that sort of sensitivity uh would, would make her more vulnerable to these sort of doubts too but it also it was, it's just also surprising because you know i think from from media we're not trying to you know it, it was interesting because we're not certainly trying to plant seeds of doubt or make a player, you know, you know, have a, you know, collapse, especially pre-tournament. Like that's, that's, that's not ever a goal or anything. Um, but it was interesting to see that as a, a vulnerability, I guess, of hers and, and that she felt and that you're sort of echoing too that, yeah, that you, that you can be working on something and have just one person say the wrong thing and it can all sort of crumble, which shows how, I guess, how, how fragile, fragile it can be except uh, for, you know, even for a top player, top player, like Naomi. Yes. I mean, so that, that, that's what I think makes it really interesting and also makes it tough. We can get to this later, but tough to sort of think about how and when she comes back to doing media again at mm -hmm. tournaments, which I think she eventually is going to have to. Right. 
it, because it's the tennis side of things that's what's throwing her. It's not like she's saying, you know, I don't want to talk about my Black Lives Matter activism during the tournament, or I don't want to do this other sort of outside distraction thing. Like she doesn't want to talk about like the inside the lines stuff, which which makes it sort of even trickier too. It makes it also feel like we as tennis media, I don't think any of us really came to the conclusion, maybe this is wrong, that we like crossed any lines or anything. Because if she's saying what is, you know, off off limits is my clay court record, that feels like very much relevant to talking about her on clay. You know, like that's something that we, I would never think would feel obliged to that, you know, ignore or to, you know, there's certainly things, players have tough things going on in their lives. If, you know, family members are ill or passing away or some other, you know, breakup or whatever it may be that we can steer clear of certain things in their life to try to make things, you know, that are off court. But this was all very on court, the way she centered her her sort of problem areas. And that I think makes it tricky too. Yeah, but if you think about it, right, you all want to talk about the on court stuff. And the on court stuff hasn't been great, you know, as it relates to the clay. Um, tennis writers and fans have a very short memory, right? So mm -hmm. we know she won Australia, right? You know, we we're We've sort of forgotten about that already, unfortunately. Yep. Uh, and now we're going to start to focus on the negative. And you know, if you look back at all the Grand Slam champions, there was a match that they almost lost, right? When Kerber won Australian Open, she was down two match points to Masaki Doi, yep. right? When Sloan got to the final of the French, she was down two match points against Camilla Georgie. You know what I mean? When she won the US Open, she was down a match point against Sevastova. And so that fragility that I think the media doesn't know exists is what I think her and her team, or her in particular, were trying to protect, right? Yeah. And you can't really talk about the tennis without talking about, you know, maybe results that are, you know, inconsistent with the hard court results, yeah. you know what I mean? And I think that part is what she very legitimately, I mean, as a coach, I'd say, yeah, you know what? Take the fine, because the first question is gonna be about what have you been working on? What are you going to do differently? You haven't been past the third round. And all of that yeah. would undo everything you worked on. Um, so, I, you know, I just, go ahead. I, well, I, I'm just curious about that because I, I feel like in terms of thinking about solutions or how things can be done differently, like, I think people wonder, like, is how much of this can be protected by the player? How much... Is it the media's responsibility to keep that question out of there or how much is it about the player to be able to learn to process that question better or differently you know like to be able to to put up and this is again this goes to naomi being uniquely i think you know sensitive and vulnerable and, and open and press to where maybe those things would, would would hit her harder than they might other people uh for sure mm -hmm. but how much of that is you know something that is just part of the and this is sort of what honestly almost all the other players have said i mean in in response to these sorts of when they got asked pre-tournament about what do you think of her skipping press conferences they all pretty much said this is part of the part of the job and sometimes it's not fun but it's it's part of the it's what you sign up for yeah and and so i'm, I'm curious just in terms of again i've been talking to people in the you know most more recent days and it hasn't been a big topic in recent days we're trying to move past it to the actual tournament that's going on in a lot of ways but thinking about how how this moves forward even just for her you know i think part of it has got to be thinking about how to make it so that people can say almost anything to her you know within some reason and that it's not gonna it's not gonna bother her. That she's got to figure out some way to separate or compartmentalize and uh, and to make it so this isn't quite as as bad. But it's interesting what you're saying, and I'm curious if you I don't know if you had experiences with, with your players where they had you know where things were going good, and then someone whether it's impress or because that's the thing that you know I don't know if you saw Mario Saka's post that she put on Reddit, 
Mari was saying, and she later deleted, but Mari was saying that it was actually a family member of Naomi's who said something to her about her clay record that like really threw her for a loop. And so that wasn't even from the press. So I thought we saw that we were like, oh, it wasn't even us. Like it's not, that's not, that's not the press doing this, but it can come from anywhere, you know? And if, it, yeah. yeah, it's just about all calibrating that. And I feel like on some level, yes, media can be more aware of the possible sensitivities, but also it's down to the individual to sort of deal with that, that sort of stuff. Well, let's talk about the reforms though, because in a lot of ways you look at the NFL, the NBA and how they sort of protect the people that are carrying their sport or are the face of their sport, right? Like Michael mm -hmm. Jordan obviously had a lot of protections, you know, from David Stern when he was a commissioner uh, and that's well documented, but you know, maybe one of the solutions and I don't, I don't know if this takes away from the authenticity of the interview is um, certain people are banned from the press room. I mean, there are some, you know, although it's a close knit family, Mm -hmm. right? There are some that have historically asked questions that are silly, right? So I, when Stevie Johnson's father passed, I remember one of the, one of the questions was, how did it feel to play your first match without your father? Well, I mean, if I'm thinking, how do you think uh, it felt? It yeah. didn't feel great. You know what I mean? So like those, there are certain people that ask those types of questions, which I think are terrible questions, not insightful and will gain the media, the, the, the fans will gain nothing from the question, right? So is, is one, one solution the player can, hey, you can't opt out of press because it is an obligation, right? You can't take the the good without taking the bad and the bad being media, right? And press. Often, so yeah. So is it, I get to take, you, I get to remove these two or three people which consistently ask me questions that are insensitive or silly. Maybe that's a solution. Maybe another solution is the media has to submit their questions ahead of time. I mean, you know, a lot has changed with COVID, right? From virtual press. So there is an opportunity to start to start to reform this. So does the media submit their questions? Those questions are screened by the agent, the coach, right? WTA. And then maybe there's one person, one moderator that says, hey, we have 15 questions that made it through the screening process and they read them off. You know, is there a way to protect the player, right? So that they can fulfill their obligation to the media. Cause I do feel it is an obligation that comes, yeah. comes with the job. Um, but also it help the media do a better job, you know, help, you know, now that I'm sort of working with you guys, yeah, right? You know, how do we, yeah, how do yeah, we yeah. be better? How do we ask yeah. questions based on your interview knowledge of the sport that are not silly? I think that, I mean, I mean, silly is one word for it. I think there's like, there's obviously a huge range of questions and it's, there are certainly some usual suspects who ask some, some dodgy questions regularly, but no one, no one in that room bats a thousand in terms of all their questions being great and no one bats zero either. I mean, there's, there's a range of, of people, you know, taking big swings and missing or just, or not, or being tone deaf or whatever that is. And it's an interesting, it's a very unique environment because it's essentially kind of a workplace where it's like, we all share an office where we all work for different companies in the media you know, pretty much occasionally there'll be one other person from the Times or something at a tournament, one or two, maybe at the US Open. But so we share it with your competitors and you don't really get feedback, you know, constructive feedback on like, hey, that was not a, a you know, good question or hey, next time do it differently. Cause you don't work, you're not on the same, you're sort of on the same team as the other people in the media. And certainly they can, they can, they can hurt you or help you with good and bad questions. There are certainly ham-handed questions that can cause a player to, to shut down and, you know, sort of ruin the rest of the interview. And they're similarly, some unexpectedly great question that yields some, you know, great answer that you wouldn't have thought of framing something some way. And it winds up in everybody's story because it's such a, you know, revelatory, you know, quote or, or insight that you get in response to it. So 
and there could be more communication in terms of players giving, you know, feedback or, uh, or, or, or tournament communications managers who are working on this side of thing who liaise with both sides of, of the aisle there in terms of giving feedback or, hey, maybe next time don't do this, which very rarely happens. There's very rarely any sort of constructive criticism and they try to be pretty hands-off, which as journalists we appreciate because I think journalists are also very sensitive to being potentially censored in this day and age, especially, which is where I don't, I feel like a complete, you know, pre-submission phase for all players would be sort of balked at and also be a lot more work for everybody involved. I mean, the, the way they kind of do it now is, doesn't require much. They sort of just say questions, please. And then whoever has a question raises their, their hands. And, and, and also, and the, also, the other thing though, I think that's important and maybe sort of counterintuitive for players or communications managers to think about this, but I think it's really helpful to have areas at tournaments where that are like mixed between the two groups. And this is obviously getting tougher during COVID when all the restrictions are there. But at tournaments like Indian Wells, you know, where like the, a lot of the media and the players will like share the same restaurant or can also be both eating on the patio. And like just seeing each other as like people and not only solely seeing each other like across the, the podium and the sort of very sort of like showdowny, like high stakes for some people's mindsets atmosphere of being at a press conference, like I think can really help to humanize the both sides of it to see you know we're just people who are just waiting in line for smoothies like anybody else in this in this room and uh and that and that can help sort of get people comfortable because you know it that's so much what's it makes a good press conference work is having a sort of level of familiarity or, or trust or res mutual respect or whatever it may be between between both sides of the people and that's and that's that's tough to do um when things are getting more and more you know uh you know, pre-submitted or you feel like you're being more monitored on either side or it's getting more stilted and less less organic. So yeah, I, I can see some ways of doing it. I, I Again, I don't feel like, maybe it's just me being defensive as a media person. I feel like the system is less broken than Naomi made it out to be in her first statement. And I think that was sort of echoed from the players because really, honestly, and this is a little bit surprising, almost none of the players like really were co-signing what the way that she said it initially they were not saying yeah we totally feel this way we've all felt this way she just finally spoke up for us she was kind of going out on a limb and most of the other top players at least were all saying you know this is what we do it's you know it's it's, it's part of it i'm not here to complain about it i do it anyway and, and also but at the same time to sort of slightly pivot to the sort of tournament side of it because the tournaments are the ones who really cracked down on this with their statement they made and the fifteen thousand dollar fine and stuff as when I first saw this, my first reaction on Twitter was like, okay, you know, I'm always surprised with how low the fine is and more players don't take the fine after losses. Like if she wants to go take the fine, even after wins would be a little unprecedented, but you know, if she just wants to go take the fine, like, okay, that's her compromise. Like that's the sort of price on the menu. If you want to break this rule, it's, you know, X amount of money. And she can certainly afford that with all the money she's making. That's the trade-off that's, that's worth it to her. Okay. But then the, the tours were not having that or the slams were not having that, you know, they were not they were not let it, and they felt very cornered, I think, by the way that she made her statement and sort of like declared this sort of intent so far in advance and set up this kind of showdown. And I feel like that- Well, let me, let, let me stop you there. Negotiate there. Let, before, before we go there, because I have a thought on the tours and how the Grand Slam Committee handled it. But you yeah. said a couple of things. Number one, that you and the fellow members of the press are not on the same team. And I yeah. personally disagree because this is an example of how what they do can affect you. Right. Oh, and so when we, we, we like, right? it's, it's, an, it's, it's a unique thing. It's, I'm not saying completely not. We are on the same team in that like our performance yeah. affects each other and we can all win and lose together, but we don't yes. have the same coach. We don't have, Agreed. we don't have, we're sort of like, we sh we're competitors who sort of share an office 
and a bit of a, I don't know if you want to call it a feeding frenzy or what, if we're all like different, you know, lions going after the same zebra or something in, in some sort of, you know, more graphic terms, but mm-hmm. it's, uh, but yeah, but, but also there's like, you know, I, as a, as a person who works for a different company, I don't really have, I don't feel like, and even as somebody who's a relatively more established person in that room, a lot of times, like I don't have a sort of, you know, place or authority to, you know, choose somebody out who I think asks like a, a insensitive question. Like that's not, we, there's not really a lot of like self self-policing or regulating it in that, in that room, because we're all ultimately doing our own, own things. Maybe yeah, that could change, I think but. that, I think we, I think that we have, like, even if you were on a different team, baseball team, basketball team, I think it is like, Hey, you know what, if you continue to do X, they're going to institute this policy and nobody wins. Right. Because you did mention the word competition and you all are sort of competing to get the biggest story, the most news, the most insight, mm-hmm. um, the, you know, tidbit. And so I think that that part means like, Hey, if we want this game to be fair and to continue to play the game, right. And for the, the way the game is played to evolve guys, we got to, a, not asking questions like, hey, how did it feel when you blah, blah, blah. Uh, obviously, it felt terrible. Uh, and then, you know, secondly, you mentioned like Indian Wells, where, you know, it'd be better for members of the press to have access. But then can everyone handle that access? Because I know when I sit in the cafeteria next to a reporter or they come sit at the table next to me and I already sit in there, I'm getting up and moving hmm. because I don't trust that the conversation you're going to hear won't go somewhere because you mentioned you're trying to be competitive, right? You're trying to get a, a good story, right? The next headline or just inside information. And so I don't know if, if we all agree that we're on the same team and we're going to all agree that we're going to play better, then the mixing of environments gets tricky because everyone, and I can name two or three. Okay. Right. Uh, everyone doesn't play nice and some of them will sit at the table listen to a conversation mm. pick tidbits of that conversation that was meant to be private between a player coach and a mother and agent and then boom it's on social media i mean we saw that with the wta during COVID, where new schedule new policy all this other stuff and then somebody lets leaks the zoom link to a reporter and ends up on twitter right and so there has to be a little well, bit all those more... leaks are coming from the players though that was about the playership not being tight in those situations yeah, perhaps they leaked the Zoom link, right? But I think, again, you know, we, I don't know that everybody, maybe you can, like you would be one of the per, you know, one of the people that I think could sit at a table next to me and I could look at you and say, Ben, I better not hear any of this, right? Oh, I, 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 from, the Twitter, way, from the conversations we've had, I'm pretty sure you know things are off record. That, 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 yeah, I feel you know like, what I mean? I feel like there's that level of confidence there. But, but there's not that same integrity amongst all the reporters. And so I think that there's no way no. today that we can allow all the reporters the same access that perhaps you have and sit at a table. I personally would get up and walk away because I don't want you hear me to hear me talk with my player after a match or before mm. a match or over dinner. Yeah. No, thanks. Right. No, I mean, that, so that, that's tricky. Yeah. That's I, tricky. I, I get, I get that. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you, you would not be nervous about me at, at your table or the next table or over or whatever. And I, and I, and also I would not, if I was in a situation and saw you having a conversation with a player, you know, that was clearly, you know, a sensitive topic or whatever, like I would absolutely not sit next to you either. I would, I would visibly try to make, not even give the appearance that I was, you know, trying to eavesdrop or try to pry or do anything to invade, invade your privacy. Cause I know, obviously, you know, you see players, especially after the losses, you know, find a corner to cry in at the tournament or whatever. And, <laughs> and, and you know, that like they need to see their moment and they don't want to be, you know, left, left alone. And it's obviously a, a semi-public space that they're sort of sharing with other people. Right. And yeah. And I, I certainly would respect, respect that. Um, 
Yeah. So, so yeah, and, that, and that's disappointing to hear, you know, in terms of lack of lack of trust, in terms of feeling that there are, you know, people doing legitimate, you know, overseeing or overhearing or, or spying. I honestly feel like that's not that's not something I can on my end that I've ever been aware of people really actively actively doing, or I certainly have ever done or ever heard about doing. I think it's more honestly in terms of like leaks of stuff. I think it's more just people. Well, I can people, name two people. Team, Certain people, which I want. Well, I'd, be, I'd be curious to hear those off, offline. Maybe I, I, I can but, uh, I can name two people who, when I see them coming, me and my player and everybody else, we're gonna go the other way, okay. right? Or whatever conversation we're having, we're gonna like you know truncate the conversation or just stop talking altogether, right? Mm. And and every we're all on the same page, you know. We're looking at each other because we know what it is. So I'm, you know, I think that again, the people that report on tennis are consistently reporting on tennis, right? And probably don't report on a bunch of other sports. And generally, often generally, yeah. right? It's pretty and niche so, in that way, yeah. So how you know, I feel like we are all on the same team, right? We want tennis to grow, we want the money, the revenue, the viewership to grow, and the media is a key component of that, which is why I think players do have to, you know, yeah. do the pressers, do the post match to help the sport grow. Um I mean so to push we back are on the that. same team. But to push back on that a little bit, though, like we're not though totally because like the media does have to degree to hold a degree of independence, and this is different from this depends on what kind of media you are in this landscape. It can get you know blurry. Like obviously, like Courtney, who's one of my friends on tour for a long time, you know, she works for WTA now and she writes for WTA from for the tour's website, and she's very much part of that company in a lot of ways now and part of the product. Whereas I'm working for you know or whoever I'm freelancing for for New York Times or whoever else is not that very much so, and, and needs to have a little bit more distance and a little bit more objectivity or independence from from everything and needs to be able to call things out and needs to be able to you know and to write stories you know extreme examples like there's two players on atp tour right now who are like facing various domestic violence allegations and i need to be able to ask you know like or to write things that are critical of how the tour is handling that or of those people or how they're handling those sort of situations and there needs to be and a lot of times it can be you know just friendly and chummy and everyone having a good time after press but there are also moments where you do have to be able to be you know, sharper or tougher or whatever it may be. And, and most of the time, I don't, I mean, I don't think to use her example, I don't think Naomi's really, you know, sort of back to her, like had any of those moments that I can think of where there would have been a tough time. And usually, usually in those like the domestic violence stuff is an extreme example of it. But even, you know, for like, I don't know, were you working with Sloan in 2013 at the Australian Open? No, no, not, not yet, not yet. But that match, I remember specifically, because that was the Azarenka semifinal, where Azarenka, you know, took the medical timeouts uh, medical long medical timeout at like five four in the second that really stalled that match and just knowing even then like Azarenka is going to come in after that match and face tougher questions about you know what she did out there because that's that's something we all saw a certain way and needed to give her you need to call her out on some level and give her a chance to respond to how we were going to write about it you know in the stories and that were coming out and so it can't all just be you know from our role as being independent media uh uh, certain ways and, and those lines are very blurred in Tennessee I feel like I'm somebody who's been able so far to be pretty on the on the pretty outside you know side I don't work for the tours at all but, but or you know rights holders even but like a lot of people do and a lot of people have to sort of you know have it both ways sometimes and wear different hats at different times it can make the lines pretty pretty blurry when somebody's you know a coach of one player and very much in there but then they're also going to do commentary in the booth for another match like that but that sort of stuff can get that can get messy for people people real quick 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Well, you brought up the Grand Slams and how they dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about how that, I have my views about how they handled it, uh, the stance they try to take, how I compare their stance to the stances that other sports and other owners and organizers have taken, how it differs. Yeah. Uh, what is your thought on how they handled the face of women's tennis? Yeah, it's complicated. I mean, I think, I think that they felt very challenged and sort of cornered by how she came out you know, kind of guns blazing on social media in advance. And that was the way that she announced it. And I do feel like in a, and I'm not trying to be critical of her and obviously whatever mental health stuff she's going through, she needs, she felt comfortable handling a certain way. But I do think that if she had gone to the WTA or something in advance and saying, Hey guys, I'm not feeling like up to myself. I do not want to do press at this tournament. Let's make that work. That they would have found some way around it. But the way that she did it, she drew this like very public, you know, because it was a news story and all sorts of news, even just that first post when she made the sort of the the promise or the or threat, if you want to call it that, that she wasn't going to do media. You know, I think they felt challenged by that. And they, and they also, I think they did try, I think they did genuinely try to reach out to her to try to mend things over in those intervening days. And they had no success doing that, you know, in terms of getting her to, to sit down and to talk and to, to open up and to share her feelings so they could work something out. Um, and then I think, yeah, and then I think they, and then they sort of switched from that to try to, you know, to try to make an example out of her and, and to show, I guess, that she's not bigger than the sport in a lot of ways, you know, which I think maybe they saw that message as being, especially because it came like the same week, you know, coincidentally or not, as, or there's the reports that she was making $55 million last year, which is like the most any female athletes ever made in a year. Oh, yeah. So, so, but, but you know, is she I, not bigger than the sport? Because in Cincinnati last year, Western and Southern, when she didn't want to play, yeah, they, they, they shut down the tournament for the whole tournament. Yeah, no, right? they halted so this, the whole tournament. This is for a big, this, for her. this is a, this is a big question for tennis. Yeah. And, 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 and she very well may be. And, and there's other people in that category. You know, Serena's been in that lane for years now and Federer in a different way, although he doesn't fit, you know, doesn't have quite the same sort of political space that, that Serena and, and Naomi in terms of their symbolic power occupy right, um right. but yeah maybe, maybe she is but maybe they also they also knew that and i don't know how much you know this from players you've talked to in paris or something but she did not see, at least from the ones who were coming in and talking in press at the beginning at least and there's demographically it's interesting who that was and who that wasn't who was sort of in there early on just how it worked out coincidentally with the with the press schedule and stuff but like she was not getting like a lot of support and she was sort of like she was people were making jokes about her on site you know like zverev is, is out you know, go and get in the time violation to start his match and be like, you see what Naomi said about, you know, paying fines, I'll pay every fine, I'll be late to every match, I don't care. And just sort of making light of it all. And like, mm-hmm. and I, I think they just sort of saw this as, as something they needed to do. And again, I'm not, this is not passing a value judgment on it either way, but to sort of keep the trust of the other players to show that like, even though she's such a big deal, she's not getting away with this like very, you know, blatant i guess rule break that she wants to do and it, it's all just it's all just been surreal because this is not one of the rules as much even some of the media i do not think of post-match press being mandatory as being like one of the most sacred rules of tennis you know but the, i think the way that she did it where it was so announced and premeditated i think just sort of 
escalated the, the stakes of this whole thing is essentially it really got kind of out of control. And I think definitely more than she imagined. I don't think that she had any sense that when she put out that statement, it was going to be like world dominating news on the front page of the New York Times and stuff that week. I well, mean, it well, really, it really resonated and really got, got huge so quickly. Well, well, let me ask you this. How much of this do you think is connected to what happened last year? I mean, we saw NBA players, you know, MLB players opt not to play games, right? And we saw whether it was just public facing and unauthentic, but we saw their owners yeah. sort of stand up and support them. Yeah. Right. And we saw it with Cincinnati too. And that's what Cincinnati did. You know, yeah, when, when and, was, and when... we saw athletes discover their power. Yeah. So do you completely. think that this was uh, a little bit of put an athlete back in their place? Uh, because Good. last year was the year of the athlete taking control of their yeah. power, right. And making demands and getting what they wanted. Yeah. And this is a sport that probably, you know, we're small enough to make changes quicker than the NBA because there's fewer people and like smaller committees and only four grand slams, but we are slower to sort of. Oh make no. I mean, the NBA has its act so much more together and stuff like that. I feel like because the yeah. NBA is, is all central under, you mentioned, you know, you mentioned commissioner earlier, you know, under Stern or now silver, like they have a leader, you know, and tennis like capital T tennis does not have a leader there's it's so disparate in terms of the power being separated between the four slams and ATP WTA ITF like mm -hmm. it's it, there's no there's no one driving the driving the bus ultimately, mm -hmm. and it just can kind of careen any which way it, it going it's going and and, and I think that's I think it's different than I think the way they would say it, I'm just I'm sure speaking devil's advocate, I guess from their side but like Naomi wasn't stopping work you know she wasn't doing what the players are doing at, at the nba she was i think they would say in you know you know maybe french terms and it's not a french term it's a little different but you know trying to like have her cake and eat it too you know like she still wanted to go out there and compete and win the millions of dollars at and the trophy but she didn't want to hold up this other part of the contract with the bargain right and that's where i think maybe this was a unique case you know like and that's and honestly like even though it was disappointing like the resolution ultimately of her deciding to pull out of the tournament like I kind of felt like it was inevitable, you know, like, I think, I feel like both sides kind of painted each other into that corner where if they're not going to do this, if, if she's not going to do, you know, press and they're not going to let her, and they're going to threaten her with expulsion from the tournament, then she's going to step back. And honestly, if she's not in, if she's in such a headspace where she really does feel like it would be bad for her mental health and whether that's even just, you know, confidence, if that's what it is, or, or, you know, depress, depression and all those sorts of things where, she can't subject herself to this. Like, I understand this, you know, the slams framing it as like, this is part and parcel of, of the gig. You know, this is, you can't have one without the other. You can't come here and get the money and play on our, on our court for our tournament without doing these certain things that we expect players to do to, to uphold the, uh, the event as a, as a product and a, a business. So, I mean, it, it, it all, it all sucked. I mean, that's, you know, first and foremost, my thought, like this is all unfortunate and I'm not happy, even though it's gotten, you know, I've done lots of interviews about this and stuff in the last week. Like it hasn't been a fun topic to, to, to get swept up in because it's just no one, I don't think anybody comes out of it looking, looking great. I do understand absolutely, especially outside tennis, you know, how Naomi's taking a stand, you know, especially for mental health has resonated with a lot of people. Like it's been a very sort of popular issue for people who are not in the sport to sort of be like, yeah, you, you do that and you stand up for yourself. And that's, that's all fine. But I think where it gets trickier is the still wanting to compete for the slams. I think that's where they were, they, they saw it as a fairness issue, which I don't know if that's over, you know, exaggerated or not, like it's not fair to your, you know, opponents. If, if you're, 
you know, skipping out and, and leaving the site after your match and everyone else has to hang around and do press for 90 minutes. Like, you know, yeah, there's different ways of looking at it, but it's just, yeah. I think it's, it's messy and, and set up, and set up this sort of situation in the showdown, like, or confrontation where, where it was very hard for anybody to come out looking good. And I think now, not in this conversation necessarily, but down the road, you know, people just got to figure out, okay, what are solutions we can do to make this workable for players who are feeling this way in the future, whether it's her or whether it's somebody else who starts feeling this way, um, so that so that we have uh, we can find some sort of compromise or middle ground, something to make it to make it work, because they just didn't have that solution. Yeah, I think yet. the communication wasn't I've there. Got, yeah, I've got four or five NBA players, and you know they played, and you know some retired now, and you know one of the phrases you know we always used to say is you take when you take this life, you take all parts of it. Yeah, right. So you take the fame, you take the fortune. But you also have to take the invasion of privacy, yep. um, you know, obligation to be nice to the fans, even when you're having a bad day, uh, the media obligations. And so since that is sort of, quote unquote, viewed as the bad part of the job, you know, mm -hmm. we've got to find a way to make it better. And I think, you know, you and I have talked about several solutions and obviously the Grand Slam Committee. And, and look, there are special rules for special people, right? We saw that in Australia how some people oh, had yeah. to go to Adelaide and some of us got to sit in the box for two weeks. Yeah. So that, that was kind of uh, rich so, from the, from the slams to be like, Oh, everyone needs to be treated equal. And then you sent your, you know, your biggest stars to Adelaide and other people had to stay in, you know, the tiny, tiny rooms in, in Melbourne. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I so. sat in, I sat in a hotel room for two weeks with no fresh air. So yep. there are special yep. rooms for special people and I'm okay with that. Right. And so if this person is the face of the sport uh, and is hypersensitive to questions, especially pre-tournament, which I can, 100 percent understand because as a man whose paycheck depended on the results of the tournament i've sat in plenty of pressers trying to monitor what was said so i know how to undo right or build back up mm. um you know the, the the question um after the after the event i do think that you know there has to be something done even by the slam because the tournament is better with her in it right yeah, it gets more media attention with her in it you know, finally, there's a player that has made enough money off the court that can say, you know what, if y'all gonna treat me this way, y'all can have it, I'm going home. That's sort of what I took from that. Like, oh, wow, you know, she made enough money to say, you know what, if y'all gonna treat me like this and, you know, sort of not be sympathetic or empathetic, I should say, then I'm going home. Um, and I think that's a new freedom that female tennis players are beginning to get as the revenue grows off the court. Um, but I do think if the slams and the media do not meet the players halfway, then we'll continue to see things like this because I, I've, you know, you and I can agree to disagree on this. I do think we're all in the same team. Like I can name you, Stephanie Miles, uh, Chris Clearly, um, you know, I, I can name the reporters that report consistently. And I feel that we all have the same interests. We love the sport. We want it to grow. We want it to grow positively, right? We don't yeah. want the headline to be. I, I agree with the rise lunch, the rising tide, the something. rising tide. You know, thing that you said. I I totally agree with that. Like you know, yeah. when in this ecosystem, you know, keeping the sport relevant and keeping people on positive terms to be productive and have you know good interviews and good moments. Like there's certainly players who you know at various times in my career who have who have been on, you know, less friendly terms with or who's mad who's mad at me about one thing or another. You know whether it's something I said or something I tweeted or or, or question or whatever it may be, and they and they go sure things get you know icy or less productive there, and that's not helpful for me obviously, and that's not helpful for them either. You know if 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 then it means that I'm less inclined to write about them in you know the pages of the New York or less able to write about them in the New York Times or whatever other sort of publication that'd be good for their 
you know, their visibility and their career and their brand and all those sorts of things. Like it, it's, it's better for everybody when, when people get along for sure. And, and, and certainly it's hundred percent better for tennis when Naomi Osaka is in the mix. This is not a better tournament for having her out, you know, especially the way she right. went out, especially, you know, right. look at that draw. Now there's nobody in the top 20 in that quarter of the draw. And so she really right. could have, could have made some, some noise there. But uh, so, so w- as a reporter, would you object to submitting your questions 24 hours in advance and having them filtered? Uh, do you think that, I don't think, I mean, if, if they're post-match questions, you don't know what's gonna happen in a match 24 well, hours. Well, I'm talking about advance. pre-tournament press. So let's talk about pre-tournament press. Again, I just, I just don't think that that is something that, you know, I'd be interested if, if certain players decided they really wanted that, like we could, that could be discussed as an option. I just have been in so many pre-tournament press conferences with so many players over the years that I think both sides would agree were complete non-issues, right? So if this is a 1% kind of issue, and I'm not saying this 1% should be ignored or disrespected, but like, I don't know that this, you know, taking a wrecking ball to everything is necessarily the right response when something a little bit more precise about players, whether it's Naomi or whether it's certain other players who may be on the spectrum and, and are or aren't, you know, talking about that openly that they are, they do feel, you know, brought down by a president, maybe people who would, you know, it surprise you, maybe people who, who don't sort of betray that sort of emotion publicly at all, who are, who are struggling mm-hmm. with it, with it more. Um, Maybe, but also, but also, you know, it's just like, I, I do think that I do kind of agree with the players again, that like it, part of doing it is learning how to ha- handle those moments. And, you know, we all can't live in, in bubble wrap, you know, like there has to be a certain amount of being able to be, again, because these are not questions. These are questions like, again, they're very much tactile, real things like your clay court record. Again, like that's a hard thing for me to concede as being over the line. When, you know, if it was something again about like you mentioned Steve, someone, whatever someone said about Stevie Johnson's father, like that sounds terrible and, and, and sort of heartless the way that question is phrased. That's, that's a different situation right. by a whole lot than someone saying you lost first round last three tournaments. How are you feeling going into this one? You know, right. like, that, well, I mean, but that, that also is a bad question. Uh, I feel great about, you know what I mean? Like, but they, that's, they, but they, they might, but they honestly, but they might, they might, some of them might answer it that way, but even honestly, even that, that sort of answer can be revealing how they do it. If someone says, you know, like, I feel okay because I actually feel like I've been doing the right things in those matches. Some people can answer it that way. That would tell you one thing. Other person would say, you know, things were not working out. I had to shut it down and like reinvent things or whatever else mm-hmm. and, and tell you their whole whole journey. And you learn a lot more about players as people and as, you know, sort of characters and competitors a lot of times by seeing how they handle the, the hard times and all the good times. I don't think sugarcoating it all is going to well, make for a, make for a better, you know, product or a more interesting product. I think you can't, I think you can't expect that. And sometimes, yeah, I've been, I've certainly been at pressers with players who are on like spectacular losing streaks, you know, like some people who have like really fallen hard in the rankings, you know, like, I don't know, like Jeannie Bouchard or, or Jack Sock who have, who are in the top 10 and then just like plummet, you know, right. like th- those sorts of moments are, are part of the story as well. It can't all just be about, about the sunshine and rainbows and, and the good times. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, let me ask you this then, because if you think about, you know, these tennis players, 
uh, a lot of them are homeschooled, right? In order to get that yeah. gift, you got to spend countless hours on the court. A lot of them are homeschooled. Yeah. Uh, their talent, their their athletic talent is probably well past their social development because they were homeschooled yeah. and perhaps didn't go to college. You see yeah. a lot of other athletes, NBA players, right? They go to college for a year or two, right? With the, you know, the one and done sort of rule. And so yeah. they are older by the time they get the money in a professional career. Some of these players are younger. They didn't play a team sport, yeah. so they spent a lot of time more isolated. And so I do think that we've got to also take that into consideration that we're dealing with two I, different I, I, I agree, but I think that all those sorts of things in terms of helping players who are homeschooled, you know, and who only held the racket, never have books since the time they were eight or whatever, you know, that's a real phenomenon in tennis for sure, but that should be addressed by working with those players. You know, that's the kind of thing where they can help be developed as people, as you know, as social socialized people, because I think so much of the point of going to school is learning how how to deal with other people, you know, and dealing with your classmates and making friends and and just not being a jerk is such an important part of, of being of growing up around other other kids and teachers. Mm-hmm. And and if they miss out on that and they're sort of you know spoiled or or whatever, focused on their careers, whatever whatever you want to call it, like that sort of human growth that I think has to happen on on their level behind the scenes. That's that's I think that's a bigger a bigger issue for sure than just the the press side of stuff like i feel like if you want to get um a player you know to to a point where they can sort of handle things and and be and i'm not just saying completely just you know suck it up whatever but if you want to get them to a place where they're able to process stuff uh in a way that is is commensurate with the sort of you know you know uh atmosphere they're in or the environment they're in then I think that has, that work should come from, from them. And that's a tough thing for the tour to do because, you know, like the tour can be kind of hands off with all that stuff. They, you know, they all, they can refer to the players all being independent contractors and sort of wash their hands of like any responsibility whenever there's a, a tough time in their lives or, or, you know, an extreme examples like, you know, an abusive parent or coach or whatever it may be, like they can sort of say, that's not our problem. Um, but it is the sports problem. And again, this kind of goes, I think, to the lack of leadership in the sport and the lack of, uh, of unity and, and cohesion that where everyone is just kind of, uh, doing their own thing and, and yeah that goes sort of my earlier point too like Naomi didn't go to the tour which is which is it has to be frustrating for the tour because it shows I would think a lack of trust like if she doesn't think that she can fix this internally this very internal issue of like if I break x rule I will get a fine you know like that should be something that I would hope and I would think the tours would hope that she'd be comfortable bringing up to them and being like hey guys like I have, and because I can't imagine they would have seen it coming because she had never bailed on press before. There are certain players, you know, who have, after losses, you know, just gotten in cars and left site and taken the fine, or sometimes the tour doesn't right. even honestly enforce the fine. A lot of times the tour doesn't even bother to enforce it. Um, right. And that's and that's fine. But I just don't think that anyone would have been prepared for Naomi. And again, maybe she was in a mental place where she wasn't ready to have that conversation, where she wasn't ready to sit down and sort of be vulnerable in person with people who she might not feel that connection to or that warrant. But I feel like fixing that connection is really going to be a huge important thing for making sure this doesn't happen again to her or to anybody else to make it feel like it's a nurturing environment where people have your back, where people are looking out for your best interests. And that she sort of, in that first statement, did not seem to believe that. She she really like challenged the tourists saying like, they think they can keep doing this and keep forcing us to do this. You know, they're, they're going to, they're in for it, you know, essentially. And I think they were just sort of, they had to be like, whoa, like we had no idea you felt this way. Like, so do you well, let, think let's, that let's the tours, start. I mean, I, like, do you think that the tours and the media don't know that the players sort of uh, could could leave press? Like if you had certain things, they could take it or leave it. You, you think that they didn't know that players sort of 
reluctantly do press or well i think i think we know that i mean i think that's obviously why it's mandatory but it's why it's in the rules because if it was optional yeah. they wouldn't do it consistently and again i so there are some players who genuinely like doing press they're not the common ones but certainly like federer like is uniquely like loves it i think he just loves sort of being in the spotlight you think he and loves it a lot of I times think he yeah. accepts the obligation no, but he's, 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 he's talked about he's talked about this. He says after losses, he says that going to do the press is a way for him to sort of like talk about the match, get it off his chest and like move on. It's almost like a mini like therapy session for him. It's like part of the routine of losing for him. You know, it's like I go in the press conference. I, I sort of explain the match, process it, even think about it myself in my mind a little bit as I'm talking about what went wrong out there. And that helps me. That's part of my, my process for, for moving on. And, and that, that's a unique thing that I don't think many people sort of very hit that unique. level. That's, that's very, and he's very unique in a lot of ways. And that's one where I think almost nobody's on his sort of, on his frequency. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I do think that, you know, again, this would come to, this would kept be internal conversations, honestly, with the, with the players and the, and the communications reps on tour and maybe higher ups on the tour. Like, is this something that is really putting us through this much stress? And obviously everything's amplified during the pandemic too, it has to make it worse. Like as much as Naomi, and and me, because like I said, I've, I've gotten along well with Naomi. I I do believe that I was one of those people in the first statement. It was like there's a handful of people who I'm 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 cool with. Like I'm pretty sure that I was one of them. I'm not saying that arrogantly. Yeah. I just I do think so. And other people, you know, your Courtney's, Reem, whoever else, are like the sort of core people who she gets along with really well. Like if she's not feeling, I've sort of lost my train of thought here. But if she's not uh, if she's not feeling that the rest of the way, again, yeah, find some way to find some way to communicate that and make that make that better. Yeah. I just feel like again, everything was it was not set up the way that she did the first statement, it was just, it was just gonna be very tough to, to resolve without someone looking like they were really backing down. And people, you know, when they dig in, it's, it's tough to get them to, to back down on both sides. So I just, I just hope going forward, Wimbledon or wherever she shows up next on tour, you know. Well, um, let me ask you this then. Makes Since this, has, has the tour uh, or the Grand Slam Committee reached out to the press to sort of begin to explore some reforms that can happen you know have they said hey you know yeah. what this is a naomi may be the first person to speak up but i'm sure there are others that feel a certain kind of way about press i'm raising my hand to say as a coach i feel a you know at times yeah when i thought we had a legitimate shot to win the tournament i felt that this press conference would do uh -huh. nothing but chip away at that right and so has there been any communication from the tour to try to say hey this is an issue that arose, right? Um, has to be legitimate. And we need to start thinking about ideas to reform. Have they reached out? I, there have been some, I'm, I'm not on the, there's basically, there's this group called the International Tennis Writers Association, which I'm not currently involved in leader. I have been in the past, but not currently involved in their leadership. I know they have communicated with some of those people, so I can't speak to all those conversations. I think it'll probably happen more once the Grand Slam ends. This came at a very busy time for everybody too. You know, there's lots of right. other, stories and stuff it's not really the time to sit down and break things down and rebuild things in the middle of a, of a grand slam which is also i think again what made this tough because she really did it when they were sort of already feeling under the gun and there was not a lot of time to 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 state you know to, to fend you know to prevent you know swerve this away from disaster with a couple of days before her first match and they put her on the first match on sunday too which was also interesting after all this so um message yeah yeah i mean absolutely so i you know i don't i don't know i think people are open to it but i also think you know honestly, Kamal, like your, your priorities as a coach are not always going to be ours in terms of like, if you're saying, I don't know if it's Sloan or whoever you're talking about who had this experience, you know, like, oh, if Sloan goes into a press conference and now leaves it with less of a chance of winning the tournament, like, 
honestly, it doesn't affect the media. Like, why do we care if Sloan wins or loses this tournament? That's not that's not making us any any richer, or any any more successful, or any different. You know, it's just we're we're in our way of being sort of neutral. Like, we're not out here almost none of us, none of the pros are out here, you know, openly polling for anybody to win or lose a certain okay. match, you know, like if okay. that, that, that's not something that's going to honestly probably motivate or sway a lot of people, even with Naomi, I think two people were like, if she just feels like it's going to make her more likely to lose at the French open, like why, why is that uh, a concern? Which is why I think it was very different in her second statement when she framed it about around, you know, depression and stuff like that, that makes it a very different, of different stakes and very different reality than when it's just about like, I want to have the best chance of winning this next tournament I'm playing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I thank you for coming on. Uh, for sure. I think it's fun. clear that, um, you know, you and I, you know, we have a great relationship uh, mm-hmm. and a lot of respect. I do think that, um, you know, we can agree to disagree. I do feel like we're all on the same team, although I understand the need for, you know, the media to have some objectivity. Yeah. Um, and uh, I appreciate you for coming on. So, you know, I think we'll we'll see some more resolution to this uh, between now and and Wimbledon. I'm sure there'll be a lot of conversation about yeah. how do we make it more inviting, how do we make it more cooperative, how do we protect the players, how do we give them more options? Like, hey, I don't want this person and this person in my presser, uh, or can I get the question ahead of time? I think all and, those are good ideas. And honestly, I think it's just about communication both ways, right? Because like this goes to, again, people feeling blindsided by Naomi's initial statement. I think because a lot of people were. Um, that we don't know always how people feel, you know, like there've been, there've been a couple of players who have like blocked me on Twitter. I had no idea why I was like, how does this person a, even know who I am? It's like, there's one player I think he was particularly outside the top hundred who she blocked me on Twitter. And I was like, I don't know how you know who I am or like what I did to, maybe she just wants like the media noise blocked out. Maybe she doesn't even want to see, you know, news tweets or whatever for me. I don't know what it was, but the communication isn't there to where it's a two way street. And again, this kind of goes to the whole Indian Wells shared space idea, but like, I think for it to get better, there has to be communication. There has to be some level of, we can't just do this from like our warring, you know, camps and send, you know, uh, emissaries to some negotiating table, like we're at, you know, Yalta or something and in, in some middle of some war. Like, I don't think it's mm-hmm. that, I don't think it's that deep. I think we can all sit, you know, have ways of, of being in the same room and being, being adults and trying to just get better reads of each other and, and, and learn, you know, people's comfort levels or readiness or, or mental state or whatever it is. And it's just, it's, it comes down to communication across the board. Well, thank you, man. Thank you for coming on the show. This is the Tennis.com podcast. I'm your host, Kamal Murray. Uh, This has been a great conversation, sort of like you talked about, two-way dialogue, Mm -hmm. um, uh, discussing sort of current events about the media, how we engage with the players, uh, Naomi Osaka's situation, Roland Garros, uh, perspectives from a coach who, you know, lives, eats off of the wins, right? Yeah, that's right how this insight could perhaps help and inform how we move forward. So uh, I thank you all for listening. Ben, I thank you for coming on. And uh, I'm not sure I'm going to say that I hope to sit next to you at lunch at Indian Wells. because I, <laughs> But you, you won't know, move. I, 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 you, won't, you won't run I, away. You know, if, you know, well, let me I just mean. say this. If I'm sitting at a table, sit three tables away, right? <laughs> I, I, you know, I always try to do, I'm not, like I said, I never try to encroach on people when, <laughs> when, when possible. Like that's not, yeah. that's not my move, so. So yeah, so but at the same time, also like don't be you know don't be don't be too uh, afraid of 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 the sort of unknown of because we're not we're not scary people. And I, I, if you I, if you want, I'm happy to hear these two names once we sign off here. <laughs> your, your name and as, as people you wouldn't you wouldn't sit next to at the at in the in the cafeteria, but uh, 
yeah, overall, I think that, I think there's, like you said, we have a lot more in common. It's certainly like a lot of love for the sport of tennis, if nothing else, yeah. team or no team. Like there's certainly a lot that we all enjoy in this still pretty small world that we'd all love to see get, get bigger, like you said. So yeah, I mean, look, us. we're the traveling circus yep. and we go from city to city. We're together 38 weeks a year, a lot of times. And you're, you're coming with me to Madrid and Rome and French Open. I'm with you for five weeks at a time. So mm-hmm. I do think that, um, you know, we just want to continue to see more fans at the circus, more TV coverage of the circus. Yep. Uh, I want to get back on the circus. I haven't been on the circus in more than a year. So and I'm get ready back to get on back, the circus. Get back with all my, all my other clowns. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, Ben, thank you for joining. Thanks, um, we are signing off again. Thanks for listening to the Tennis.com podcast with Kamal Murray. And I uh, we will be back soon with episode three.